This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good afternoon and welcome to The Lunch Show with me, Samuel Lickis, where today I will be joined by two teachers who have just started their ECT, that's Early Career Teacher Training. They've been there, done that, got the PGCE with QTS t-shirt, and they're here to share their experiences and give top tips for anyone starting teacher training this year. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome everyone to the show. If this is your first time listening, my name is Sam and I've recently returned to studying for my PGCE in secondary geography, having completed a term last year and taking a break uh, during which I worked as a cover teacher. So it's been really good for me coming back to school and um, starting at a new school and getting to know, sort of get back into the routines and that sort of thing. But I have to admit, I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, I've started teaching my new classes. I've been receiving lots of feedback. I've been learning what feels like a million new systems at um, at my new school. And with all the traveling and everything like that, it's it's just, it's kind of, yeah, I'm really tired out. And I feel like now it's the weekend. Um, I just need to take this weekend now just to have a, a really good rest before Monday. Um, I'm excited to uh, welcome Daniel Rosier, who's going to be my first guest for today. Uh, Daniel is a computer science teacher based in Wiltshire. And he's he's finished his PGC. He's now in his first year of his ECT training. And I'm really excited to um, welcome Daniel. Are you able to uh, hear us? Yes, I can hear you, Sam. Brilliant. How's your uh, first couple of weeks been at your new school? Uh, Pretty much exactly what you've just said. It's quite tiring. Um, I think on Thursday we had our open evening, so I was there until 8pm, so that really took it out of me. And Friday just felt like I was just really tired. So like you, weekend, time to relax, recharge the batteries. Brilliant. Yeah, you mentioned the open evening. My my school's got an open evening as well, except um, it's going to be be on a Saturday in a couple of weeks' time. So um, do you think it's a good experience for if student teachers can attend these open evenings and sort of get involved with that sort of thing? Would you recommend they go along? Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I remember in my PGCE, uh, PGCE year that I went to the options evening as well, and I really enjoyed the experience of just being able to talk to parents as well. Yeah, do, do you find they, when you're so early on at starting at a new school, how, how do you sort of navigate answering questions that you may not necessarily know the answers to? I guess it's sort of taking the lead really from your mentor. So my mentor was there as well. I sort of picked up on on what they were saying and that gave me an opportunity then to sort of think of ideas, think about how I can promote the subject as well. So it, it comes to you, but also, yeah, lean on your mentor a little. Yeah, after all, that's what they're there for, isn't it? Being able to support you and answer questions and um, sort of just be a really good presence. But I think it's a really good, um, I think it's really good for schools to have, trainees there because it really just shows they're investing in sort of new generations of teachers and um you're going to bring sort of fresh ideas and experiences to to their subjects so i think it's it's really positive for prospective parents to be able to to meet um trainees 
Yeah. Have you found? Yeah. So have you have you found what? How have you found uh, your first couple of weeks as an ECT? Um, contrasting with your experience as a PGCE student, you know, particularly towards the end where you're sort of perhaps a bit more autonomous than you are at the beginning. You, you know, you're teaching full lessons. You've got a reasonably full time timetable. Have you found that's really prepared you well for what you're doing now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a very good experience. Uh, my PGC mentor was very good and sort of went through quite a lot of things with me as well. So I felt well equipped to go into my ECT year. I think the difference is just that being left to it and just having to sort of like navigate different systems and navigate uh, what what do I need to do for this class or how do I do seating plans that maybe you you never had those experiences of doing those before. Yeah, I mean, it's that seating plans, one of the ones for me, because I've, I've just started teaching my, my new classes, which has been really, really good. But the seating plans have been there already made by the teachers I've been working with. Um, and there's various pieces of software that um, different schools use for that. But, but I did get caught out with one of my classes because there was a last minute room change. And I had the seating plan for the room that we were going to be in. And and I didn't have a seating plan for the new one. And I, I sort of just completely spaced on having to plan a new seating plan. So I've actually never done one myself yet. So it was one of those things that just sort of caught me off guard and sort of threw the beginning of my lesson a little bit. And I was just wondering what advice you'd have for trainees when sort of things don't go smoothly, because it's, it's all very well having a plan. But sometimes, you know, there are spanners in the works like last minute room changes where the seating plan you've got doesn't work and you don't know the students. Uh, the only bit of advice I can think of is, is just roll with it. It's it is your PGC year. It's you've got so many things probably going through your mind at any one time. You're focused purely on am I going to teach this right? This is what I want them to know. Try not to worry about those small minor details because there are going to be things that just don't happen. Like you say, a room change happens that you weren't expecting. So yeah, just just roll with it as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's one of the things. It's, it's adaptability. It's being able to think on your feet, and it's just one of those. It's just, it's one of those jobs where the best best laid plans in the world really good to have. But actually, yeah, being able to roll with punches and and the sort of dynamics of the class as 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 they emerge is is, is just a really good skill to develop over the course of the training. Definitely, and coming from someone like myself, I'm someone who likes to meticulously plan everything, and you have to be prepared for even the best laid out plans just just to not work <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, we're going to take a quick break while we um, have our news break and we'll be back in a few minutes time teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges that's where adapt come in we're not your typical trade union but instead a modern apolitical alternative offering expert legal employment and mental health support protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. School suspensions featured in The Guardian, always a provocative topic. According to analysis reported in the newspaper, since the pandemic, disadvantaged pupils in England were 3.7 times more likely to be sent home than other pupils. The analysis was published alongside a separate survey of teachers who said that verbal and physical abuse from pupils had increased significantly post-pandemic. School suspensions have risen overall since COVID, up 30% in 2021 to 22, compared with 2018 to 19, but have gone up more sharply amongst disadvantaged pupils, up 75% versus 4% for non-disadvantaged. The analysis was completed by Who's Losing Learning on the latest available DfE figures for 2021 to 2022. Other groups who saw significant increases were children with social workers and children with special educational needs. The analysis also looked at geographical factors. The increase in suspensions was highest in the East Midlands, up 57%, followed by the North West and North East at 34%. The survey of NAS UWT members found almost 9 out of 10 said the number of pupils exhibiting physically violent and abusive behaviours has increased in the last year. Almost three quarters of those surveyed cited poor socialisation skills following COVID restrictions as a key driving factor behind the rise in poor pupil behaviour. When asked for comment, the DfE said it supports head teachers to take the action necessary to promote good behaviour. The TES reports on further concerns around recruitment of secondary teachers in England. Figures obtained by the NEU and NAHT show ministers are on course to miss recruitment targets by 48%. Numbers in all subjects except history, PE and classics are below the national recruitment target. The figures for last month, the final month before teacher training courses begin, shows there were 13,788 recruits. This is short of the target of 26,360. Paul Whiteman, NAHT General Secretary, said the shortages meant more children were being taught either by teachers with no qualifications in the subject, by teaching assistants or by supply staff. A DfE spokesperson said there were record numbers of teachers in schools, up by 27,000 since 2010. But unions point out that the number of pupils in state-funded schools had risen at almost double the rate of teaching workforce. Special educational needs has been in the spotlight after reports in the media suggest that the government has signed a contract targeting 20% cuts to the number of new education, health and care plans. According to The Observer, the cuts emerged as councils across England face huge financial deficits on SEND. This is caused by rising demand and long-standing underfunding, they say. Part of the government response has been the launch of the new Delivering Better Value in SEND, which supports councils to bring down budget deficits via early intervention and teaching children with SEND in mainstream schools. The plan's design costs £19.5 million, but it suggests a reduced growth in the number of EHCPs, targeting at least a 20% reduction. Concern has been expressed by SEND campaigners around the legality of such an approach. 
ministers have denied that a specific target to reduce EHCP exists and that it was completely wrong to suggest the DfE is withdrawing support for SEAP. Finally, a feature article in The Guardian focuses on research into the impact of pornography on the lives of children and young people. Abby Wright spoke to 10,000 children between 2016 and 2022. They were aged between 6 and 22 and came from a range of backgrounds across the UK. Wright is a theatre designer and did research as part of the creation of two new musicals. The feature article called Too Much Too Young is available online, but broad findings suggest that children as young as six are encountering porn online, often via pop-ups, but sometimes having been introduced to it by older friends or siblings. For nine to 11-year-olds, exposure to porn is frequent via platforms like YouTube. Children as young as 12 admitted to feeling like they were addicted to pornography. Teenagers feel that they learn more from pornography than sex education classes, particularly those exploring their sexuality or gender identity. Pornography also appears to confuse the issue of consent, particularly for young women who feel if it is okay in porn, then it's okay in real life. Whatever our thoughts on such a sensitive and challenging topic, it seems clear that relationships and sex education needs to catch up quickly for a lot of young people. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Welcome back to the show, everyone. So, uh, so far I've been talking to Daniel about just sort of generally his experiences so far being an ECT, so it's an early career teacher. The terminology changes all the time, it feels like, doesn't it? So many acronyms to learn. Um, and we've been talking about a little bit about um, his experiences on the course. Um, so, Dan, if you could cast your mind back to this time last year, what were the main concerns that you had about starting teach training and sort of other things that you were looking forward to? Yeah, if I think back to sort of this time, September, um, for me, it was, I was really looking forward to my sort of first opportunity to teach. So at this point, I wasn't doing any teaching at all. It was just a lot of shadowing other teachers and being in their lessons. So I was really keen to actually get involved in teaching a lesson. So I remember having a lot of conversations with my mentor, um, because I think they would like you to gradually sort of get into teaching but I really wanted to try out a sort of full lesson rather than just a starter so it was conversations around that equally I was nervous about having to deliver a lesson and preparing that lesson so there was a lot of I want to do this but I'm also a bit sort of anxious about doing no, I can appreciate that because it's, it's one of those things, if you're going into teaching, you've got to have a, a, a degree of confidence sort of being in front of a, a classroom of kids and um, you have to deliver a lesson. But then all of a sudden, when you're up there, you think, oh, actually, I'm just about to go into a classroom with 30 or so students who I don't know the names of, they don't know me, and I've got to be an expert, I've got to manage the behaviour, I've got to do all this. It, it is it is an overwhelming sort of Thing, even even if you're feeling really confident, even if you've worked in schools before, maybe as a TA or whatever, it's, it is a it is a challenge. Did did you find that in the end, you know, once once you actually got up there teaching, it it went well? Yeah. So I actually remember my first experience of teaching. So I was in my mentor's lesson. I was shadowing the lesson, and 
she wasn't feeling very well at the time. So she sort of come over to me and I said, I'm, I'm more than happy to teach the remainder, remainder of this lesson. There was about 30 minutes left. Um, and she was like, okay, if you're happy to do that, I'm happy to let you do that. So I remember walking up to the front, sort of getting to the computer, right, I'm going to do this. And it, it went great. And I actually really enjoyed it. And it was good that I wasn't prepared because as I said before, I quite like to be prepared. I quite like to know what I'm going to do when it's going to happen. But it was actually very good for me that I wasn't prepared for this and I just had to. Yeah, you did say like, um, you know, sometimes it's good sort of getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and you can be sometimes a bit over-prepared perhaps or, uh, you know, but that, that's that's quite a sort of a baptism of fire almost, <laughs> being able to take over a lesson that you weren't expecting to be teaching. And I think that, that's um, that, that's really good to hear. You know, you, d- you said that you were quite keen to just to get on teaching straight away. Um, you know, a lot of the... Ad- I mean, a lot of the advice that a trainee teachers will get is to maybe just do a starter or maybe just do the plenary at the end of the lesson, maybe sort of co-teach a lesson with your mentor. Um, do you, do you, how, how would you sort of recommend to trainees to navigate that with their mentors if, if they're really keen just to get started? Um, would you say, yeah, just really push to go and teach a full lesson straight away? Or do you think actually there's an element of don't run before you can walk sort of thing and hold yourself back and just actually just concentrate on delivering a really good starter at first yeah some very good points there um just going back quickly to sort of my baptism of fire as you put it because i was confident in the subject knowledge that's why i was quite happy to do that but definitely it's it's down to you as the trainee how do you feel do you do you want to go into sort of straight away doing a whole lesson you might feel more confident that okay i get to do a five minute starter and then I can reflect on that. And that's one thing I I would definitely say is just be as reflective in the process as you possibly can. So if you feel like you would get a lot out of the five minute starter and then you can think about, okay, I can build myself up to maybe doing a starter and then a little bit more like a first activity, for example, then that's a good way of doing it. But if you're somebody that wants to, okay, I just, I want to do the whole thing. If it's terrible, okay, I'll get some feedback, I can work on this, and that might be what works best for you. So definitely, your mentor probably has a good idea of how confident you might feel, how comfortable you might be with it, and it might be a case of opening the door to that conversation with your mentor. Are you happy if I do this? Um, If you get any pushback, then maybe a starter is what it needs to be, and then you can build your way up. But equally, they want the best out of you and, and they're there to get the best out of you. So having that conversation definitely is what I would. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good advice. And um, I think it, it, it is tough because I, I was a bit like you. I remember this time last year when I started my PGCE, I, I, I'd had some experience teaching already in the international sector and I was just quite keen just to get on with it. But I, I did find actually just teaching some starters at the beginning, it, it did help because it, there were all these new systems with the school to juggle, all this new software. I'd never used any of it before. And um, yeah, it was just a lot of things to um, sort of navigate that was all new to me. And it was actually quite useful just being able to sort of rein myself back in, get some really good feedback on what went well, what I could have done better. In my case, it was quite often timings that was my biggest weakness because I can ramble a little bit if I'm sort of left to it. I, I really like that you mentioned subject knowledge, actually. That was something... Um, because last last uh, time on my first show, 
I spoke to a PGCE mentor who sort of really stressed the importance of of, of subject knowledge and and actually being really confident in your knowledge. Um, so in a subject like mine, which is geography, it's a really really broad subject. My, my degree is in geology, so there's, there are aspects of the subject I hadn't actually studied myself since I was back in school. So it was quite a long time ago. So you know, I did have to brush up my skills and my knowledge on some of these some some topics that I hadn't really sort of thought about much in a long time. Um, and that's going to be probably true for a lot of trainees and. I think that's a really good point to bring up. Actually, if you're really confident in your subject knowledge, that's going to take you a long way in being able to teach that subject. And um, I suppose you probably had a lot of experience of students asking you weird and tricky questions from time to time. Yeah, of course. Um, I just want to quickly go back to what you were saying about your the pace and the timing was your sort of issue to begin with. And I think that's probably going to be every trainee's issue. I had the exact same issue. I remember making these lessons that that were maybe two hours long and I thought that was an hour's worth of content and I was going into a lesson thinking why am I not at the end yet like why haven't I got where I thought we would be so I was putting so much in in the beginning thinking that that was not going to be enough for an hour I was really panicked about that and then you actually find out that okay do you know what it's five minutes before they actually get in it's five minutes before they do that and just getting that timing, the pacing is probably going to be everybody's first issue. Um, but it's one that you definitely will get a lot of advice on, a lot of feedback on, and you'll be able to realise then, okay, this is what an hour's worth of a lesson looks like. But going to what you were saying about sort of weird and wonderful questions, yeah, computer science, it just happens to be one of those subjects where you will get things coming out of left field that, you know, students will. Yeah, I think I think um, that's one of those things. As students do come out with all sorts of things, and I, I've 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 sort of started to learn to judge if a student's just trying to divert the lesson or distract you from it, or if actually they're genuinely interested. But sometimes it's like actually you do get those questions, and it's really good when students are enthusiastic and they they do have questions that they want to ask. But you're also thinking in the back of your mind, well, I've got this lesson plan. It says I've got ten minutes to do this bit. And all of a sudden, I've got hands up, and they're all asking all these questions. How, how do you sort of some how do how do you sort of balance that? Actually, trying to encourage questions and students being interested, but also being aware that you've got a scheme of work and a curriculum that you've got to get through. Yeah, so I think sometimes you want them to be thinking, and if they come up with a question, it might be a question that other people are thinking about that maybe they haven't got the confidence to ask. So definitely. I'm all for them asking questions, me answering their questions as well. So I would never sort of try and stop that at all. But again, I think you have to be prepared that you've got this perfect one hour lesson. But do you know what? Maybe it could be two lessons and you could allow a bit more question in that lesson. And there's something else that that might then be a learning episode for the next lesson. And you can then reflect on that. And there's there's always that sort of learning opportunity in there. And yeah, never stop their enthusiasm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good advice. I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, no, I've, I've, I'm going to training at university or, or at the training school, so I'm doing a school direct programme on Fridays. And, and it, it, a lot of this material is repeat for me because I've actually already done this block of training already. I can see a lot of the um, the new trainees going in there and think that they're learning about all this cognitive science. They're learning about 
behaviorist approaches to teaching or constructivist approaches to teaching and and all there's just there's just all this theory there's this all this um yeah sort of sociological theory and neuroscience theory and all this sort of thing how if if you're a trainee how do you decide what what is your top priority at the time like what are the things that you really need to know about in in the training that um you'll be getting some some trainees will be at school already if they're doing like a skits uh, program or teach first something like that others will still be at university if they're doing a university led course and they'll be going into their placement schools probably within the next couple of weeks but you know i'm just saying how how do these trainees how do trainees prioritize what they're learning the sort of theoretical aspects and, and to put that into practice in their lessons yeah so i would soak up everything that you are getting because education is led by research and any school that you go into they're always sort of trying to be on the forefront of research and trying to implement all these new ideas so definitely I would soak that information up and I remember in my training there was a lot of talk about things like cognitive overload and you'd be like okay yep I understand this I understand the premise of it and then you would be in a lesson and you can see it happening right in front of you you can see that okay, do you know what, maybe I have given them just too much information to digest. So yeah, definitely take it all on board because it is, it's there. It's in, it's going to be in every lesson you've got. It's just going to, it's going to change maybe the way you plan your lessons, maybe the way you deliver your lessons. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, is it you taking, taking it all on board, but you did sort of mention cognitive overload. And I think that's something I'm experiencing myself right now. Um, even though I've already done this block of training um, in the in the autumn term once before, I'm doing it again, and um, I'm just sort of finding find I find it's just it's just so much information, and 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 at at the moment my my from my perspective, so my priority is kind of I just need to be able to plan a solid lesson. I just need to be able to learn the school systems and that sort of thing, and just all this theory like cognitive load theory. I mean, you say you can see um students in your classes experience these sorts of things and i think a lot of trainees will be experiencing it too um is that sort of fair to say do you think yeah definitely and i've got cognitive overload at the moment with my email inbox i think it changes massively between when you're a pgc um, student you're kind of shielded from a lot of the day-to-day goings on in schools and you kind of get information fed down to you from your mentor but now I'm like out there as an ECT, I can't even keep up with my inbox. There's just so many emails that come through, so many things I need to be aware of. And yeah, that's my cognitive. I think um, emails and that sort of thing is something I'd like to come on to a little bit later because uh, I think at the moment at my school, they sort of shielded me from um, quite a lot of the emails. They said, you know, you don't need to be on our Teams channel just yet. You know, you can join our Teams channel just a little later on. But there's a lot of stuff on there that you know right now isn't a priority for you and i'm not in all the staff email lists because i've seen other teachers inboxes and they're just a bit bonkers and mine at the moment is quite manageable but and i have i have no, sort of no unread read emails but i just wonder how long that's going to stay um for, you know the course of the, the term and the course of the year it's one of those challenges um I'm just really pleased to welcome uh, my second guest today which is danny cave and danny is a um, she's a drama teacher and she's also like Daniel doing her first year of ECT training. Uh, Danny, can you hear us? I certainly can. Yeah. Hi, Sam. Uh, lovely to be here. Um, 
what a whirlwind last year was and what a whirlwind this year is i completely agree about the um cognitive overload that's currently happening it's really chaotic i guess that's the start of term though i think everyone feels so, yeah absolutely i think um start of term there's just I th do you know i've sometimes wondered if like the, the school year is a little bit front-loaded there's just so many things that go on um at this time of year i guess because it's sort of way before the exams and things start in in the summer and that's sort of your priority later on and so schools want to get all these other things out and sort of open mornings all that sort of thing we we're talking about earlier um how, how are you finding your um other than a bit of cognitive overload um your new school and and being a, a real teacher yeah real teacher is the key word there it's terrifying um, i am enjoying it though i think there's so much freedom that i didn't have last year and i can you know you walk into your classroom and it is your classroom and that's something i think i didn't quite understand beforehand i didn't you know you're jumping from classroom to classroom you're working with other teachers as a trainee um and then getting your own classroom and being on your own is it's really quite eye-opening um and they always say that you know everyone says oh you'll never you know you you learn on the job once you turn into an ect that's the when you learn everything and i think there is a definitely an element of that um however my first ever solo lesson um i had ended up with five um other teachers in the room because um i had a year seven class on year seven's first day and um they had nowhere to be so they came to my class which was terrifying <laughs> So do you say five adults in the room? Yeah. Five, five teachers. Gosh. So it's like, yeah, all eyes on you, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was all like the um, SEN team as well. So I was like, oh, goodness, I don't know these students. And I'm like worried that I'm not, you know, I'm not give, presenting the work in the best way for them. And it was, yeah, it was honestly quite terrifying. But everyone seemed to be very pleased with the lesson. So that's really good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, you think about like, lessons dan and i were talking earlier a bit about um when things don't go quite to plan you can have the best laid plans in the world and something happens um that that, that just disrupts things are there any be like both of you if you had sort of any particular like when you were training lessons that really stood out where where things just didn't go the way that um that you wanted them to oh put me on the spot um <laughs> loads to be honest i haven't got one single lesson that just was chaotic there wasn't a fire or anything but i think there are lots of lessons where it hasn't i maybe i've not got through all the material that i wanted to maybe like for example at the moment there's an ect i've developed schemes of work and i'm thinking this is fantastic they're gonna love this this is brilliant it's like groundbreaking and then it just hasn't clicked for them so i've kind of got to go back to the drawing board and think how can i make this accessible for them to then get them to move to where i want them to be so even as an ect there are lessons where i just reflect on it and i think okay let's do that yeah um, yeah i think um oh, sorry danny yeah off, off you go. <laughs> yeah. i was gonna say yeah and it's always the things you don't plan for like you can't ever imagine could go wrong so yeah, during my training year the clock stopped working in the middle of a lesson um, and I didn't realise and it had started like speeding up. Um, so we were about 15 minutes into the lesson and I was panicking. I was like, oh my goodness, I've got 15 minutes left of the lesson. So I'm like rushing through things and I've got them all to like, obviously as a drama teacher, I'm like, right, okay, performances are in two minutes. Let's go, let's go. And then, um, yeah, my, my mental turned around and was like, 
you know you've got half an hour of this lesson left and you've just got them all to perform and I was like oh um right so half an hour left of the lesson guys we're gonna play games <laughs> yeah you just can't you can't say it's 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 roll with the punches sometimes isn't it it's just yeah having um having something having something sort of in the arsenal as a backup just when things don't go well like maybe there's an it blackout or the clock stopped working and you sort of lost track of time whatever so yeah it's useful that you had those games in the back of your mind that you you could pull out and actually do something with uh for the rest of the lesson yeah very pleased as a drama teacher i can always resort to games if things go wrong (laughs) Yeah, I think it's it's um I think that's something a lot of trainees would be really worried about is is um I think something Sam you were saying earlier, Dan, you know, plan this scheme of work and you think, Oh yeah, this is amazing. You put loads of time and effort into it. And I, I've had lessons like that as well where I think, you know, this this is this is my magnum opus. This is my <laughs> this is my Sistine Chapel um of, of lessons that I've put it's all singing, all dancing, is it's an amazing, amazing resource. And then you go to teach it and you think this hasn't worked at all. And it it is quite soul destroying because you think you put a lot of yourself into it and um and then it hasn't clicked for whatever reason. And how how do you find you know you talk about reflecting on things, but how do you actually sort of process in some ways the emotional impact of of those things when you put a lot of time and effort into it and passion and it's just not worked? Personally, I'm straight away really honest with the students. And like if it's t- no matter what's gone wrong, you know, if it's just not been right for them, I've geared it too high or they just don't get it or it's been a behavioural issue, I will kind of just say to them, I've put so much work into this and it's just not gone right. And, you know, you talk to them about it and I've found that that works really well, that they can kind of, they really respect your honesty there and you're able to say, look, we're going to have to revisit this because it's just not going right. But on a personal level, I think in my training year, I really struggled to be okay with those days where it just didn't go right. Whereas like as a new teacher, it feels like you kind of have to kind of brush it off yourself really fast um, and then reflect on what's gone well. And I do think it's really, it's a bit of a shock to the system because you're so used to, oh no, now I've got to look back at that and think about how that went and you know, I wrote reflections a lot on my lessons that went wrong because it was, you know, good to look back on. But as a new teacher, I think, yeah, you just have to move on. And it's I think it's good for you just to move on because you're not focused on it. But I also think it's it's kind of a bit sad that you can't, you know, reflect on it. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. I'm with Danny on this. Um, honesty is definitely the best policy. I think if a lesson doesn't go the way you want it to, being honest with them saying okay it this didn't work and I wanted it to work but I'll, I'll come back we'll revisit this and uh, and I'll change it but thinking thinking back to the PGCE I spent so many lessons there, there's being reflective and then there was probably times where I was damaging my mental health worrying too much about this didn't work or you know that was a terrible lesson and I'd sit there and, and, and try to be reflective, but it, it wouldn't then just be reflective. It would be, okay, I'm not cut out to be a teacher. You'd start getting those thoughts where you're thinking, maybe this isn't for me anymore. But that happens to everybody. And I want I want to reassure people that if you don't think that at least once, then you know, you're know you not normal, that kind of thing. But 
it, it will happen and you will get you will become better because of it and it carries on into your ECT it's not you know I'm two weeks in and, and I've had one day where I had a bad lesson and I just think to myself okay I could sit here beat myself up all night thinking about it but I've got to move on I just have to be able to move on and next lesson is another fresh start it's a new chance so that that kind of the mentality has Mm. Uh, that's that's really sort of really pragmatic approach to dealing with it i think and that's that's really useful and uh it's encouraging to hear that and i think actually a lot of the time the students aren't gonna hold a grudge against you for a lesson that goes a bit well well you know it flops a bit or something like that i think that they, they're, they're doing five lessons sometimes six lessons a day and they're sort of they've got their own sort of lives going on outside and, and i think for us sometimes we can think of our classroom as being the, the center of the universe and our lesson is the most important thing ever but to the students it, it is just one lesson out of five on that day and they've um perhaps a bit sort of um yeah, a bit of a reality check sometimes i think actually you know then they're, they're not it, it's not they're probably they might actually be forgetting about it by the end of the day and yeah new lesson new new, new lesson is a new start and yeah, time to uh, yeah, fresh start. Definitely. You have to think as well that maybe in a class you've got 30 students in front of you and you're thinking about yourself personally, which is fine. But maybe that's being a little bit selfish there because those 30 students, you don't know what's going on in their lives. And, you know, today might be a bad day for them. They might have things going on in, their, you know, friendships. Friendship's quite a big thing. There might be stuff going on at home. So, yeah, don't take it personally at all and, and try to allow yourself to, reflection but don't beat yourself up yeah i think that's really that's really encouraging and and sort of sensible um you did mention mental health and things like that so it's just um but yeah both of you over the course of your year i think it's no point in sort of filling any punches here it, it is a tough course you, you are in schools for most of most of it you are having to learn how to teach but you've also got your training you've got assignments you've got all these other bits and bobs to juggle how how have you how have you sort of managed your health both your physical health and your your mental health over the course of that um over the course of your training um it's i mean for me personally it was an absolute roller coaster um i really struggled with my mental health to keep it in check um i don't know whether so as someone who was fresh out of uni when I did the um, PGCE, I wonder whether I'd gone into it too quickly, you know, not given myself time to kind of settle. Um, um, but I think there's just so much to juggle. And yeah, it's you're planning lessons, you're trying to get to know the students, you're trying to work on your own coursework, whilst also being a fully functioning adult it's it's so tough to like manage it all and personally i i do think it is something that needs to be spoken about a lot more um the mental health effect that the pgc has on you i think it's like that with any kind of training course similar so like nursing things like that how do you balance your life and your school life um, and then on top of it as well your student life um physical health again I saw so many teachers go down with colds and stuff throughout the year which is something I think we kind of you know we don't really talk about the 
amount of times you're off with a cold or you're feeling so ill and you're teaching a class and you can't talk and they won't listen to you and it's that's again that's so tough um but I think teaching gave me the opportunity to focus on myself a bit more and be a bit more selfish um, which wasn't something I expected because I yeah it's quite a selfish self selfless um profession but I kind of was able to look at it and go, no, no, I need to look after myself because if I don't, I can't, how can I ever teach these? Yeah, I was just going to add yeah. that um, definitely mental health is very important. I had a very good year. I had a supportive mentor. I had supportive colleagues around me. So, but, you know, what I was talking about with how I took something negatively and that sort of maybe knocks me off kilter a little bit and it's things like through the year you're going to have some really great highs you're going to have that fantastic observation that's just giving you that big boost that you want and then in a couple of weeks time you're going to have an observation again and it's going to be okay it wasn't a it wasn't your best lesson or it wasn't a good lesson and that's going to give you sort of send you in a bit of a negative spiral so it, it's hard to balance all of it and then you've got the the pressures of assignments looming on you and you're just trying to juggle everything. And there is so much to juggle. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? We think about prioritizing stuff and actually everything's a priority. And it's like, but ultimately, you know, your, your, your top priority, I think actually does have to be yourself. And I think Danny, you said, you know, sometimes you do have to be a little bit selfish. And um, something I, I've decided this year is 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 I've I've already made the decision. I'm not going to run a an after school club, for example, and that's something I did um, last year when I was doing it. I, I did a I ran a club, which which I did enjoy, and I don't regret doing it. But it was one extra responsibility that I took on that actually was was perhaps one responsibility too far. And and that's not to discourage um, that's not to discourage trainees from running a club or getting involved in a, in a club another teacher's running because it can be a really rewarding thing. But it's also knowing your own limitations, your own capabilities, and actually just being realistic, I guess, about about what what you can do. And yeah, maybe maybe actually, as you say, uh, Danny, you know, teaching is a pretty selfless profession. But sometimes, yeah, actually having a little bit of selfless selfishness is is needed. So, um, just wanted to move move on, think about um. Danny, something you mentioned that was quite interesting. You said, you know, you're fresh out of university. You just finished your undergraduate degree, and um, whereas Dan, you, you know, you you you'd had another career. Like I, I'd had another career as well before doing my teacher training. And there will be um, there will be people listening here. Some of whom, again, are fresh out of university. Other people who are older, and they they may have, um, you know, they've got um, families. They've got all sorts of other things that you know they might be their second or third career. And, and, the, and the dynamic for um, between people of different ages and different stages of their life is going to be really different. And I, I know sort of the, the cohorts, the geography cohort that I'm with at the moment, they're all much younger than me. And sometimes I think, oh, it's going to be really weird being able to talk to them. So I was just wondering, like, what your tips would be for trainees interacting with other people in their courses, even though we might be at really different stages of life, um, have completely different sort of home lives and other sort of things like that, you know, how do we learn from each other? How do we support each other with that, those sorts of uh, different dynamics between us? Oh my goodness. So 
I think it's you've just got to be open-minded at the end of the day you're there for the same thing you're there to learn to teach and everything but you cannot be I think I think it's really easy to get like worried that the person who is a completely different age range to you is going to be you know either they're going to know more than you they're going to be more suited to the job that kind of thing um and we were quite fortunate um an RPGC year where there was quite a range of ages and I, I was fortunate enough to make a, some really good friends and I mean Dan and I have been very good friends since day one we've spent a lot of time together because of um, going to the same university this year for RPGCE and there's a big age difference between us and yet I think when we are in the room together we act like 12 year olds um, so you just really have to be open-minded about who you're around and accepting that age is not an issue um, these people are there for exactly the same thing as you and no one no no one is better suited to the role than you because you're there to do it and I think that's you've got to have that self-confidence in yourself and just jump I uh, just want to add like that. <laughs> sorry I just want to add for the listeners there's not that much of an age gap between me and Danny by the way <laughs> but what I would like to say is I've got a massive respect for anybody that comes straight out of university to do this because it is just an experience and there's so much going on but I never once you know looking at Danny for example I never once looked down on Danny like okay you're not going to be cut out for this because you're younger you're you're not as experienced I would never say that to anybody I think that Danny brings a lot to the table that I didn't have you know equally I probably bring a lot to the table that Danny didn't have so it, it just doesn't matter experience doesn't matter it doesn't matter that I was in industry before it just matters about you wanting to be in this job for the right reasons. You you know, you're selfless because you want to be a teacher. That's what matters. No, I think it's really encouraging. Uh, from, yeah, both of you, it's, it's, it is it is appreciating that we actually, we all have our own strengths and actually we can talk to each other and, and discover one another's strengths. Something they got us doing on our first day at university this year, that, that was a really good thing, a really positive thing is they, um, got us writing out a few topics within geography, in my case, that we felt really confident with, that this was sort of like our area of expertise. So for me, it was sort of things to do with geology, for example. That was sort of my biggest strength. And, um, and others, like one person on the course had studied international relations first. And that was like, that was really interesting to hear because that, that's not something I know a whole lot about. And and so that that's something I think, oh, if, I, if I'm going to be teaching a lesson that's going to be like geopolitics or something, I can now ask this person, oh, any sort of really interesting things that you can tell me about that? And, um, you know, what would be some good anecdotes or some good examples that I could sort of weave into my lesson? Just got a comment here saying, um, people on the course have the same goals so there can be a we're in it together relationship and everyone can, um, that can bring everyone together throughout. And I think, that, yeah, that's really true, isn't it? Um, it, it, it is an intense program and actually you're you're in the same situations irrespective of, other things that are going on um you know you, you are in it together you're there to support each other as well as as as, as learn your own course or finish your course yourself in the trenches absolutely yeah definitely <laughs> i think and there's so many moments where you need those people around you you need someone who is in exactly the same boat as you it doesn't matter their home life or anything like that it just matters that they are doing exactly the same thing as you and so when you go to them crying which i did a lot last year when you go to them crying they they understand 
and they get it and they're not going to just come up with a solution straight away for you um they're gonna talk like they're just going to talk to you and let you get it out and you can say about how horrible horrible the kids were to you and how they didn't understand your lesson even though you'd spent hours planning it and they they get it completely and i think that is so important your cohort needs to be your anchor because they get it they just know exactly how you feel and yeah you're right paul you're in the <laughs> definitely um i was quite lucky i had a really good support group as well at the school i was at so you know we could all chat to each other we, we'd all meet each other at break and lunch and so on um i was also very lucky as well that on the floor i was on opposite me uh was the history department and i had a really good sort of uh friend there colleague there that i we, we just literally after school we'd sit in there for an hour kind of like a debrief session for both of us and we would just chat about the day what went well what didn't go well and that i needed that and I miss that actually now as um, at my current school as an ECT because I don't quite have that relationship yet with some you know somebody else at the school so I miss being able to have that debrief and being able to just sort of vent about things and just get someone else's opinion on something because I think that's important as well like if you had a bad observation for example you might be quite sort of critical about oh that was quite negative of them to say that or I don't agree with that but then for someone else to say okay but they are making a valid point and you can just sort of yeah okay you're right i think you know what you say about actually just being able to go into another teacher's classroom and and just spend an hour or so or however long you've got having a cuppa having a debrief and de-stress it that, that that's it <coughs> sorry excuse me um that's that's a really valuable thing isn't it just being able to have us as that support network and being um and actually sometimes all you just need, isn't it? It's just somebody to talk to or maybe just complain to or just, you know, and just have that um, sort of thing. And I think actually, you know, I think that's a really interesting point you made that, you know, you miss that as an ECT because I guess the, the relationship you, you have with your colleagues is going to be a bit different to the relationships that you may have with, with fellow trainees because which, which, which you know, you go to university together or, you know, you, got, you spend a lot of time together in um, tutorials and all that sort of thing. So, it, it, it's, it's a time to make the most of it and, and actually make friends as well yourself and stay in touch with throughout the course of your career. Definitely. And I'll miss my PGC friends. I won't see them every day like I got to, um, you know, when doing my PGC year. And that's kind of like that lifelong bond that you'll have, that you were training with them, you spent every day with them. Yeah, and, and you'll miss that now because we're all at different schools and we'll keep in touch definitely we'll, we'll definitely message each other all the time but it's just being able to have that face-to-face -face conversations and, and just okay we're in this together yeah i'll miss that definitely but as because we are only two weeks in it's that sort of settling in period i'm getting to know new colleagues there are a lot it, my building specifically where i am the computer rooms there's separate from the main building so I don't have that interaction that I used to have where I was on the same floor as a lot of different other classrooms. So there's kind of the geographical nature of it. And... Yeah, I think you know, so, so schools, actually, it's interesting, actually, the geography of the school layout and how that can facilitate um, sort of relationships and support networks and that sort of thing. Perhaps a discussion for another day. But, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing to think about that actually... Some some teachers, you know, I think PE in particular, maybe because they're 
sort of maybe in completely separate buildings or whatever you know that that's yeah it's an interesting point and but it is it is good actually to socialize with people outside of your own subject and and get to know people um acro- across the school because again they they're all going to be able to provide different perspectives on things and actually be able to um yeah but may, maybe give different advice that a teacher within your own subject w- wouldn't necessarily be able to sort of have that same perspective on absolutely i mean you never know who is going to have so for instance when i was training i had a really tough relationship with a student we just couldn't we just never saw eye to eye and i was struggling so much to get through to them and it was actually a teacher in travel and tourism who was able to give me a little bit of an insight into how they deal with this student and this student's um needs and i it was so eye opening for me because obviously it's quite a practical subject i really wasn't expecting that to be able to help me in my lessons but it really did and it's something i've been able to use um at every school i've been to so far um with students who just need that little extra support um and yeah you just never know who's going to be able to help you and as long as you can you know you go out make friends with all those teachers because they're there for the same reason you are and they've trained as well and hopefully they will be lovely and and for the most part they are and that's i think that's really important in a school but i am going to have to dash now i'm sorry sam um, i've got to run but thank you so much for having me on the show it's been lovely to speak to you and to kind of just share a little bit of what happened last year for me thank you so pleasure thank you daniel it's been really great having your input on the show and i really appreciate you sort of taking the time out of your day to join us um, we, that's a good time to, we're just going to take a quick break now while we hear from our sponsors. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, Specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Teaching is teaching is a reward. My apologies for that, but welcome back to the show. Um, just to say, anyone who's listening live, um, if you've got any questions or any comments that you'd like to make, please put them in the chat. And we, um, if there's a question for Dan or just a general question about the topics we're talking about, please please share them. Um, so Dan, one of the things I expect a lot of trainees be worried about is probably the big thing that people be worried about in addition to the workload is behavior management it's something danny sort of touched on just before uh, our break um it's one of those big things isn't it you you are one adult and you've got 30 or so students in a room with you um some of whom let's be real don't want to be there and they don't want to be listening to you and schools will have their behavior policies and all these sorts of things but what Sometimes it sometimes behavior policies seem like they're really simple to execute and, and it's going to be perfect if you've got them. But then you actually come to do anything. Actually, it's a lot harder than it looks. What for trainees, you know, what would be your top tips for that? 
Yeah, I just wanted to touch on what Danny said just before she left. Um, it's a very great point that she made about just being able to be honest with yourself. Maybe there's that particular student and being able to approach other members of staff and how do you deal with this student? What can I take from you that I would be able to put into my own practice? And us as teachers, we, we can't be stagnant at all. We can't assume that, okay, this one size fits all thing will just work. We have to be prepared to be honest with ourselves and be able to approach other people and just take that on board. But with regards to uh, behaviour management, it's, again, it's that whole, it, it isn't one size fits all. You have to be able to be adaptive with those different classes. You might have different challenges in those classes. So you have to be prepared to not just think, okay, this one thing I do works every time. So that's just going to be the thing I use because it isn't going to work every time. So you just have to try and adapt your approach, use different techniques, use your mentor give to sort of give you feedback and, and ask them maybe what they do. But being able to talk to other teachers is, is vital. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, ask you for advice if there's a specific um, issue that you're struggling with. And yeah, the one size fits all thing that that that's actually a really interesting point. Because I think a lot of the time that 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 seems to be um, a behavior policy is a one size fits all thing. It's a document that says, if if this happens, you do this. And this is this is your stages of how you um, perhaps escalate sanctions or whatever. Um, but yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work. And something you mentioned, like right at the beginning of the show, is you don't necessarily know all the details of what's gone on in a student's life, um, sort of behind closed doors. Um, you don't even know what's happened in the playground just before they've come into your lesson and there's some drama's happened and they've brought it out uh, from the playground into your lesson. And, 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 and so all these things can just put spanners in the works and, it, and it's, and yeah, so actually just being, again, being adaptable, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of those things that you've just got to learn and mentors are yeah. there to help you and not just mentors, but other teachers too. Of course you need to follow your school's behavior policy because that is the behavior policy for the school. So if you need to give out a warning or you know, make a second warning, that kind of thing, you need to follow that. But it's just about you knowing your classes as well as you can, whether that's through notes that might be on whatever system your school uses for that particular student, making sure that you are aware of those um, to be adaptive because there are going to be those different challenges. I just wanted to quickly say as well, because Paul has put a message on there. Um, he's put, what is the most important thing a mentor can do from the view of an ECT? Now, this is an interesting question because Danny, who was just on just now, we, we obviously talk, we message each other about different things. And her mentor seems to be very switched on, giving her a lot of information. My mentor is quite the opposite, quite like me, quite laid back. And that's great for me. Um, what I think a mentor can do is to try and just try and be as involved as you can but not overly involved and I think a lot of things that maybe you take for granted are maybe things that might need those conversations so in my PGC year I never had any sort of experience of how to do seating plans so I remember sending Danny a message like, oh my God, how, you know, what, what do you do for your seating plans? Like, I don't know. And I've got all these classes I need to make seating plans for. And it's just one of those things that maybe if I had 
had that conversation and that's on me as well it's definitely not on my mentor it's on me to have approached that and asked for the advice but it was kind of like okay I need to do this and I just kind of kept it to myself and tried to do that myself so maybe just those little details that maybe you need to have the you might need help on so maybe you could I don't know could could you devise some sort of a list maybe of things that you could ask your ECT can I help you with this what do you think about this is this something you might want to talk about and maybe just be proactive if that makes sense Paul yeah that's, that's a, it's a tricky one isn't it because you said you know you you like a little bit of space um other, other people actually may want their mental to be sort of really involved um and, and sort of there all the time and, and that that might not work for some people so yeah being a well, maybe to different different trainees and, and their preferences but i really like that you mentioned um you, you've never done a seating plan well to a lot of teachers that's going to be something they've done a, they've done a million times they kind of know what the just the general dynamics of what works but to someone who's never used some of these sort of seating plan software packages and you think oh do i go boy girl boy girl or do i um or do I think, do I need to put all the students who have send profiles at the front or, you know, what do I, it, it's, it's a lot of things to consider, isn't there, with those sorts of things. And, and you think it's, it, it is a real juggling act and that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah. there's going to be compromises. It's a bit of a shock to the system as well, because when you're, um, your PGC mentors like quite involved with you, you see them every day, you talk to them all the time. So you're kind of in that PGC bubble where, you're so looked after, you're so supported, and that's great. You then become an ECT and it's kind of that bubble's taken away from you and you're kind of left alone. And is there a fine balance between I still want some level of support, but maybe not as I don't need as much as I did as a PGC student? So it's kind of going from one extreme to the other is what it feels like. Mm, yeah it's it's yeah that, i think that's the um yeah because you think actually the ect sort of program is is designed isn't it to segue between being a student teacher a pgc student into being a well you are a fully qualified teacher as an ect but once you finish your ect program you'll take on more responsibilities you won't have that uh, same level of involvement from a mentor anymore and that sort of thing so it, it is a but even so, you know, you, you don't have somebody else in the classroom with you anymore. Whereas I taught a lesson earlier this week and I, and it, this was my fault. And I just spaced on bringing some resources downstairs. I'd left them in the office, in the geography office, I'd forgotten them. And in that case, I was able to ask the person who was with me in the classroom at the time, whoops, uh, could you go and grab them for me? And he was, and I think, oh, what would I do in this situation if it was just me in the classroom? Because I've kind of planned my whole lesson around this particular resource. Um, oh, oh goodness knows it's a case being organised, isn't it? Really, I think at the end of the day, and what I've what I did in response to that is on my lesson plan, I've written a little tab resources, and I'm just going to tick it off once I've collected everything in preparation for the lesson, a shopping list really. But yeah, there's um, I think something Paul's written there, uh, which is really good. Said um, importantly, it's really important to remember that your ECT is an adult, and I think student teachers are adults too. Um, all, all uh school staff are adults and it i think i just it, the dynamic the relationship dynamics between teachers of different seniorities and different places in the school is is, is is always going to be a complicated one sometimes 
And no, I'm just interested to know, Dan, what, you, what your thoughts on that. Do, do you find you're treated really differently now that you're an ECT uh, compared to when you're a PGC student? It's a difficult question because I had a really good PGC year. I felt really supported. Um, yes, yes, it is different because it's kind of that labels taken away from you. You're not a student teacher anymore. You are a teacher. So you're kind of one rung up on the ladder maybe than being the student teacher. But, you know, you're not as high as sort of SLT, you know, middle leaders, that kind of thing. So it definitely changes. Um, yeah. Yeah. A bit sort of labelled, but I think one of the things I've, I did, I did really enjoy about particularly doing a, um, or I, I am enjoying it about doing a school centred, uh, a school directory is that I, I am there in the school every single day or for most days. And, and, and the students don't necessarily know that you're a trainee. They, they they sort of just see you as another adult and um and and, and yeah they they they, they and, and sort of found a lot of the teachers in fact all the teachers just yeah just treat you like an adult they ask you really good questions they ask you how things are and i think it's it's really important to just sort of accept that um yeah you are a trainee but you you are there as, as an important cog within the school machine still yeah nail on the head with that really um you they should be treated with respect you are an adult and you need to have a good sort of mentor mentee relationship as well and i've seen some of the struggles that people have gone through when maybe that balance isn't right um and obviously paul picks up on the point that you have to remember that you know they are an adult so yeah, I've seen I've seen it at its worst, maybe. But then I've also, from my own experience and other people's experiences, I've seen some really good, positive, mentor-mentee relationships. Yeah, I think um, you know you you said that you had a really good relationship with your mentor. You felt really well supported. What? But you've also said that you've known other people who who didn't necessarily have that level of support, and the relationship wasn't necessarily that positive. So. What advice would you give to trainees if they're not feeling um, like they're being adequately supported by their mentors? A uh, very difficult question there. Um, I would because I I would say that you need to have those conversations. You need to have a frank conversation with your mentor and just say that maybe the balance isn't quite right. Maybe this is what I need from you not so much a bit of that but you've kind of got to get that symbiotic relationship where it just works for the both of you do you find that was something that for you developed over the course of the year or, or um as, as you sort to to understand each other's rhythms and you appreciate that your mentor's got a ton of other responsibilities you're not the center of their universe and do, do, yeah did you find it was something that you you just got into that really good sort of relationship over time as you got to know each other better yeah definitely and if i look back on my sort of pgc year i think i probably gave too much of myself like i felt like i want i'm always there to impress like i was i was always going to do more i was always going to say yes because you just want to make that really good impression and I, I i wouldn't change it i really wouldn't i would have i would do exactly the same 
if I was to redo that year again, because that that's me. I, I wanted to just go above and beyond. And I think my mentor could see that straight away that I was always going to give it 110%. Even through times where maybe I had a lesson that didn't go very well, my mentor could see that I was being reflective about it and that, and that I cared. And I think if you care, that's important. So our relationship was was sort of a mutual trust. We, She could understand that I wanted to take as much as I could from her because she's been doing it many years and she's very good at her job. And I wanted to take that, take as much as I could from her, just absorb everything into my teaching. Oh, that was, yeah, you know, you've got a really experienced teacher in front of you. Absolutely. Just try and learn as much as you possibly can. And I think, um, yeah, learn as much as you possibly can from them to ask questions and, and gain as much knowledge as you can. I think somebody described teaching to me as a bit like um, le- learning to drive because you, when you, um, you learn to drive and you pass your driving test, well, well, you're a qualified driver, you're allowed to be out on the roads by yourself. But actually, it's those years after you qualify that that you're going to get really good at driving. You're going to be able to learn how to anticipate what the traffic's going to be like, or um, the, the you know the mechanics of your car, all these dynamics of the roads, and, that, and that's actually when you start to become a really good driver. And I was, you know, is that something you're feeling now as an ECT? You're starting to gain that, um, or, or over the course of your PGCE year, and now where you are now, just sort of you've got that you've got a bit more of a sixth sense starting to develop for just the dynamics of the classroom and the school yes and no i i think that i'm still learning i'll always be learning and just the 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 sort of class dynamics will always be so varied but because you've got that experience because you've got that exposure i think you can then go into a lesson and you can we talked about behavior management that you can maybe adapt how you're going to deliver something for the class in front of you or you could handle that situation in a certain way because you've seen something like that before so you can always take those experiences and, and use those for your mm, yeah it was, you know, being adaptive and it's the same sort of point isn't it, it, it it's being able to be um being able to be adaptive uh, being able to sort of think on the fly and um yeah, all those sorts of things. Um, really nice comments from Paul there about um, if things, maybe your relationship with your mentor isn't going how you'd like it to, saying get some chats in with your student friends, share your thoughts. Something Dan was saying earlier, which is really good, is that he was able to go and talk to his friends in other departments and just have that that debrief after school and um, and, not, and and with others, and just in the staff room over a cup or at lunchtime or after the school day's over. And yeah, find someone in the school that you can trust and chat because we, we have not just one mentor. We It's easy to think about. You've got your mentor who's your subject mentor, but then you've actually got people at the university and somebody in SLT, SLT who will also um, who will also be able to support you. And But actually being open with the dialogue, just um, I know I know mistakes that I've made before is I have a habit of sort of just thinking, yeah, I can do all this. I can take all this on. And then you sort of, feel like no I can't but I'm gonna keep pretending that I uh I can do it and you get to a point where no burnout starting to settle in and then it all just sort of unravels a little bit and and it's something I'm sort of really conscious of myself now is is actually just being aware again of my own limitations 
of of things I'm finding hard and actually do need to just sort of say to my mentor, yeah, I'm finding this this particular thing hard. Can I have some extra help with it? Definitely. And one thing that that just made me think too straight away is when you, in your sort of trainee year, when you start building up the the intensity of teaching, so you, it, it's different for different programs. So I'm not going to try and quote a sort of generic figure, but say, for example, you do 50% to begin with, and then maybe you work up to 60%, and then eventually you end up on, say, 75%. Be prepared to have conversations with your mentor and say, okay, maybe that intensity is too much for me right now. Maybe I want to just stay at 60% and work up a, you know, slower than, than what they want you to. Um, they're they're going to try and push as much as they can because, one, they think you're ready for it. They feel that you've got that good sort of teaching rhythm. But just be prepared as well, like I say, that you might want to just say to them, I'm not quite ready for that step. Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely. Just be, being open about that. And, you know, you said, you said right at the beginning, you were really keen to start teaching straight away. Um, yeah, get stuck in, and which is great. But actually, you know, you do sometimes realise, Actually, there are these processes that I, I just feel like I really need to get solid at before I take on a bigger workload. And I found um, my guest last week, um, something she was saying is that when she plans a lesson, she can do it within sort of 10 minutes or so at this point in her career. Whereas if you, if, when your timetable, you've only got a few lessons in there, you're only teaching a few year sevens or year eights, you can easily spend an hour or two planning those lessons. You've got the time to do that, but you don't have the time to do that when you're back up to... 60% timetable or 75% or whatever it happens to be on your program. It's And actually be, being able to sort of be, get get good at those processes where you can be efficient with your time, I think is really important. And that's that's something that doesn't happen overnight. And it's, it's something I'm, I feel like I'm slowly getting better at now, being, being, being quick, but, but also sort of good at what my, because I know, I know the things that have worked for me in the past and which things haven't and, all those sorts of things. It's it's tricky. It's a tricky process. Sam, let me talk to you about planning. Um, in the beginning, I probably spent on some lessons upwards of two hours because I was just finally crafting this absolute work of art. And do you know what most likely was going to happen? It was going to be a flop. It just wasn't going to be that lesson that I thought it was going to be. So you have to, in the beginning, you are going to want to maybe give it your all. And, you know, don't shy away from that because it's it's a learning experience, definitely. But planning takes up your life in the uh, trainee year. So I was probably spending every night. So I've got children, so they go to bed around about seven o'clock. I was probably spending every night, 7 p.m. till about 10 p.m. Every day of the week planning lessons. And that is not sustainable at all. That's not what you should be doing. But you probably will do something like that in the beginning, unless you've got a department that has fantastic resources that they can just give to you and you're happy to deliver those. But that's the other thing. Someone might have resources that you can use, but you might not be comfortable delivering it because that's not your way of delivery or there are certain things you want to add into it. And you have to be able to experiment with that you have to be able to be given the opportunity to make your own resources definitely and I, I would advise you to do that but 
you need to get to a point where planning isn't taking up all your time. Now, even as an ECT, I probably spend maybe two or three nights a week, similar sort of hours, seven till 10, planning my lessons. So it does get better. But please, please, please do not spend all your time planning lessons, trying to make these works of art, because it's just not worth it's just not worth it. And your mental health does not need to take a dive for that either. Mm. Yeah, it's I mean, juggling being a parent as well with your training that 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 adds a whole other sort of um, new pressure, doesn't it? Having to juggle partner, children, as well as actually you've got this training course to do. And it's, it's you know, I've got a great deal of respect for people who do that because it is I know what it's like for me um, not having those responsibilities and it's hard, let alone having them in two. Um, no, pl- planning is one of those tricky things. I, I, um, I'm i at a school now where they do have centralised resources. It's it's very, they, they've got it all organised, all the um, PowerPoints and all the handouts and that sort of thing. They're all ready to go. And I've, I've sort of been using them so far, but I have been, I've always been adding my own sort of little touch to it. I've been sort of adapting things and, one of my things my mentor said to me is is maybe what you want to do uh, going forward is think this week I'm going to plan all my year seven lessons from scratch or or what, next week it might be I'm going to plan all my year eight lessons from scratch. So I'm getting that experience, you know, planning a lesson properly, but I've also got that that support and and the um or, or, and the sort of efficiency of having the centralized resources. So I think that that's going to vary from school to school, but. But there are resources out there and something and on various websites and I found Twitter's a really good resource at least um, at least for geography people are really generous with sharing things and yeah adapting adapting them and actually making them your own um interesting point from Paul here I don't know if this is something you've experimented with Dan as particularly as a computer science teacher get on AI just make sure you read and adapt have you experimented with anything like um, chat GPT for example um, in your lessons or lesson planning? Yeah, just quickly, um, talking about the trainee year, balancing sort of children and that as well. Massive shout out to my wife, Poppy. She was fantastic. My children are fantastic. And it made my whole year a lot easier. Um, so thank you to them. But talking about AI, do I own up to it now? But essentially, when you <laughs> write these lesson plans that you need to write for every single lesson, they're long they're tedious i get the point of them but they can take a long time so yes did i get AI to write those for me i did which was fantastic um but in terms of resources i use it now still so if for example i want to have multiple choice quiz i'll use ai to generate the questions one good thing i love to use it for is if i want to simplify something so if i think something I'm about to read to them, some sort of theory about a, a topic is quite sort of wordy, lengthy. Ask it to simplify it and you'll get a much better, concise statement sentence about it. And it's great to be able to use that as well. Yeah, it, it, that, that's you know, like using it to support, not replace. Um, yeah, using it to support your planning rather than replace it. I mean, you're still having to plan it, but you're using it to help you out with simplifying stuff. That's a really... That's a really interesting application of it, and I think in in subjects like I can imagine lots of subjects like um, well, like mine, geography or English, where 
actually you may want to just differentiate texts for different students. Um, I, I'd like to do guided reading in my classes and sort of go through it with them. But actually, sometimes there are some students who may have um, specific learning needs where that's going to be really difficult for them to access that same text. And actually, maybe that's something I need to play around with having a go at using an AI to simplify a text um, or condense it a little bit. So actually, those students, so I've scaffolded the learning for those students and they're able to access that same text. Yeah, oh, so it's always a good thing. Like this is one of the things about teach, talking to other teachers because you learn these different things, and it's it is it is a it is a really collaborative profession. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's. Yeah. I, I don't think we're at a point yet where AI is going to be able to write you fantastic lessons, start to finish. It's just not that well refined yet. But definitely, you can use it for supporting you creating lessons, and that's going to cut down a lot of the time. Um, but you mentioned about websites for certain subjects. So, for example, in computer science, we've got Teach Computing, which is a fantastic resource. So you can, if you have nothing, say, for example, in your school schemes of work wise, you've got a whole key stage three curriculum there with schemes of work. So there are a lot of really good websites in my subject, at least, but I'm sure that is for other subjects. But equally, in my subject, we're we're quite open to sharing all our resources. We're not like one of these precious subjects where it's my work, I don't want you to see it. Um, we're, we're quite happy because we know that there aren't many computer science teachers out there. A lot of, um, you know, shout out to the non-specialists doing a fantastic job delivering the curriculum. That we, we like to share the resources because it just makes everyone's life easier. And I don't understand why any other subject would be so precious about their resources not to share them. Because, you know, hopefully they reciprocate. If you share something, why wouldn't they share something back that is going to save you a lot of planning? Yeah, absolutely. Ask, ask around and maybe ask some of the other trainees at, your, your, uh, at, uh, at uh, different schools. And um, you know, what, what does your school do? Are there any good ideas that they can sort of perhaps share with you? And we're just going to take a quick break while we hear from our sponsors. Teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Welcome back, everyone. So we've only got a few minutes left of the show now. So, Dan, I was just wondering... What what sort of final advice would you have for um, trainees? Any things that we haven't touched on so far? Um, good question. I would say enjoy it as much as you can. Definitely, it is a great, rewarding year. Working with kids every day is fantastic. So just try to ignore maybe the bad lessons, the bad days. Things do turn around. It is kind of... It is a roller coaster as well, but something that I touched on, Paul's touched on in the comments, is just about having a great 
sort of support network around you. That is probably the most vital thing. You need people to lean on. You definitely need colleagues, um, friends that you can vent to. You can just talk to them about it, get their advice. And you need them through, through the year, definitely. You will rely on them so much, they'll rely on you as well. So make sure you've just got a really good teacher support network. So as much as at home you might have your partner, um, family to help, you need people that are doing this as well day in, day out, just to lean. That's really good. I really loved how you um, you said your wife Poppy was just really, really supportive throughout the whole thing, and that's. I think it's really important to sort of recognise um, and, and sort of appreciate the people around you who who actually are there and they care about you and they can do things to help you out and support you through your training. So it's not just the people within your school community or on your course, but actually, yeah, friends and family and um. Yeah, other sort of uh, people that you know that 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 can help you out, and I, I suppose even if um, because I I sort of live quite a long way from my family. I I live sort of in Somerset, and my family are mostly in Sussex. So, but actually, I found you know, you've got WhatsApp groups. You can make make those phone calls and just vent it from time to time. And um, yeah, there's there are ways of actually just keeping in touch with people and actually make sure even throughout the course um throughout your training being able to um, actually make time for those other relationships outside of school, because that, that's going to be really valuable, isn't it, for any anyone? Definitely. And you need a work-life balance as well. You need to be able to just go away somewhere, you know, book something, have a spa. My vice, I know Paul says beer, which uh, my vice was probably chocolate. Um, you need to just be able to have something to it's just going to pick your mood up again so whether that's like I said going away somewhere football for me I go to football a lot and and that's something in playing football that was something that really just got my mind Um, running running's fantastic Uh, I used to do that every evening it just was a way to clear my head and it just felt like everything left my brain which was great just for that maybe 30, 45 minutes that I would go. But, you know, at least it left my head for that short space of time. So you just need some way of being able to just get ev- keep everything in check. Look after yourself. Your mental health is so important. Yeah, yeah. Play, play, keep, keep keeping up those hobbies, whether it's sport or music, um, reading, whatever. Whatever you enjoy, eating chocolate, having a beer at the end of the day, just to wind down. Yeah, all, all really good things. Um, I think just... Just really help, um, yeah. Keep keep you feeling human, because actually, yes, it is a training course, and you've got to do well in it. But but that's you're not going to help anyone if if you're just so burnt out constantly because all you've done is read CPD books and written essays and spend goodness knows how long planning lessons every single evening. I th- it's a really good point. So Dan, just in the last few minutes of the show, um, what what are your goals for your like ECT training, are there any sort of things that you're hoping to get out of your first year as a as an ECT? More of the same, Sam. I'm just going to absorb as much as I can from any of the teachers. Um, take any CPD opportunities that you can. I mean, I've just recently signed up to do an MPQ, which is going to be great. So that's a, the professional qualification for leading teaching that I'm going to be doing. So it's designed for people that are aspiring to be 
middle leaders um, or middle leaders. So my goal really would be to hopefully be head of computer science. Um, so it's really interesting that you're thinking about that sort of long-term aspects of your career now and and actually you're in a school that's supporting you to achieve those career goals. And that's that's something I'd like to talk a little bit more about later on in the year, of course, is actually finding a school when you start going for interviews, actually finding a school that's, that is going to help you achieve what you want to do in your career. So I think it's really positive to hear that, you, you, you know, you're actually thinking about becoming a head of department and you're being supported through that and taking the time just to learn as much as you possibly, as, as you possibly can during your ECT training. Yeah, I aim to try and observe as much as I can as well. So using my sort of free time to be able to observe the teachers, because the point I made earlier is just not being stagnant at all. It's about always trying to improve your craft. And if I can see other teachers in action, see what they're doing, and, and you know, I can use that in my own lessons as well. So, you know, if I can observe other teachers, if they're happy for me to do that, then great. And that's what hopefully I'll be able to do a lot. I think it's a really good thing to sort of bookend this 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 show because you mentioned right at the beginning that you were you went into the PGC really enthusiastic to go straight away teaching lessons and often at the uh, beginning of the program you're encouraged to go into um, lessons and observe them not just within your department but across the school maybe shadowing students and all that sort of thing and then once actually you get further in through the program you've got a bigger timetable you're probably not going to be doing so many observations at that point. And actually, what you've said is, is really important, I think, actually, observations can be, still be really important, whatever stage of your career that you're at, um, in still developing your learning and all those sorts of things. Um, Dan, it's been really, really nice having you on your show. I really appreciate you giving up your time this afternoon on a two weeks into term when you want to recharge your batteries. And um, I'm sure you want to spend some time with your wife and children as well this weekend. So I do appreciate the time you've taken to come and speak to us today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say just while we, as we finish? Yeah, just quickly, um, thank you for having me. I've absolutely loved it. Um, it's been great just to be able to talk about things and hopefully people listening will take something that I've said, hopefully. Um, but just know that you're in this for the right thing. You're, you're joining to be a teacher because you want to be a teacher. You're going to have an up and down year. That's fine. I did but you will get through it and you'll be fantastic. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone, and enjoy the rest of your days. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.